0: If you have data and you're not using analytics, it's like saying I'm surrounded by data, but starved for information. Drowning in data, but starving for information.
1: Life is an endless stream of challenges, but no worries. Manoj is bringing the world's best minds right
0: here for you. My gosh, Manoj, you just blew my mind. Thank you, universe. Manoj, thank you. I'm so grateful. Makes me feel a little bit better.
1: Thank you. Bootstrapping Your Dreams is here to give you what you need to succeed. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. I'm your host, Manoj Agarwal, and today we'll be talking with Dr. Radhika Kulkarni. So Dr. Kulkarni is an analytics and artificial intelligence advocate for universities and organizations and she's active in the area of operations research, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. Radhika worked as the vice president of advanced analytics R&D at SAS for 35 years, where she was in charge of the world's leading analytics software product portfolio. She She has witnessed the growth of innovation in the field of analytics, data science, and AI. She was also responsible for the development of software products and customer engagements to solve complex business problems. Radhika oversaw the establishment of the OR-AIML Center of Excellence, which tackles the most challenging analytical issues for a variety of Fortune 100 firms. She facilitated cross-domain collaborations that produced groundbreaking inventions and earned her the CEO Award of Excellence. Radhika is an InForms fellow who has served on the InForms roundtable and various InForms committees. Her Women in ORM uh, Worms Award appropriately recognizes her as a female role model in analytics. Not only Radhika is the female role model in analytics, she also mentors young professionals in choosing careers in analytics, machine learning, and data science, and works with multiple universities regarding the same. Radhika has a great devotion and familiarity with the academic world. She has sponsored several university collaborations and serves on numerous academic advisory boards. Moreover, after her retirement from SAS, she has been spending more time working with the academic institutions and professional associations to advance data science literacy. Welcome Radhika.
0: Thanks Manoj. Thank you very much for that introduction and thanks also for inviting me to be part of your show. I'm Absolutely. looking forward to ta- talking with you.
1: Absolutely. So uh, you have a great story you have had tremendous success now uh, now so that we can get familiar with you as a person can you walk us through your life story, your journey how did you get here and you know how were you able to achieve all these great feats?
0: Uh, Gladly, Manoj. uh, I will uh, gladly give you a thumbnail sketch of my Mm -hmm. life so far. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm sure, you know, during the course of the interview, we'll delve into greater details about uh, different aspects of it. So uh, I got my master's in mathematics from IIT Delhi, Mm -hmm. and I came to the U.S. to attend Cornell University for a Ph.D. program in mathematics. That was way back when... Mm -hmm. 77. Um, And in my first year, uh, actually, I decided that I would like to switch to operations research because of a linear programming course that I took in my first semester. And I really liked that. And so I switched from a PhD in mathematics to a PhD in operations research. And along the way, I got a master's uh, as well. And I also met my husband. So I also acquired a husband there, I guess. (laughs) So, um, after uh, finishing my PhD, uh, we moved to North Carolina. My husband had already graduated with an operations research PhD the year before, so we moved to North Carolina. He had a tenure-track position, and I got a visiting faculty position at UNC Chapel Hill. So, for two years, uh, the university position was there, and I was able to teach, and I really enjoyed it. Unfortunately, you know, th- these were the early days when, you know, people still did not. Um, the, the term two-body problem hadn't yet come up. And for us, both of us being in the same uh, operations research field, it was difficult to find another tenure track position in the geographic area. So I ended up taking a job in industry uh, and uh, joined SAS Institute, which was a relatively young company at that time. There must have been only about 250 people or so uh, at the in the company at that time. And I got a job as an operations research specialist I, I was, in fact, the second OR person to be hired in the R&D group at SAS, and I was hired to develop research contra- constraint scheduling software. And over the t- over time, uh, I grew in management hierarchy. I started to manage a small subgroup within the OR group department, and then when my uh, uh, erstwhile pres- uh, director uh, left to take a different job, I uh, ended up getting the position of the director of R and d So um, from then on, um, you know, as I was leading the OR department, I recognized that there were many ways in which optimization and OR could be used to do a lot more things for the other products within SAS as well. And I made a pitch, and I said, hey, you know, it would be nice if we can collect all the research and development groups which are in the different analytical areas like uh, statistics, data mining, forecasting, and all of these different groups, and create one division so that we would have a cohesive R&D effort. So uh, I made that pitch to our executives, and uh, uh, I was uh, given the charge to lead the department and uh, named the senior director of advanced analytics r&d from there on i um, over time i was then uh, made a vice president of the division so essentially uh, you know i made the pitch that or could make a difference and i had the capability and capacity to be able to lead the group and uh, look at how we can solve uh, customer problems. So uh, I created from there on, we created the ORCOE, which you mentioned, which is the center of excellence, which actually within R&D, we had a small group that we created that would work directly with customer problems. So it was a nice um, effort where we could get um, the, the customer problems feeding into research and development, the new research ideas feeding to the customer and so on. And uh, so that's how I grew from uh, an individual contributor to the VP. And after 35 years, at the end of 2018, I retired from SAS and uh, decided to and elsewhere when I started looking at um, doing more work with uh, operation, the, the INFORMS Society, which is the Institute for Operations Research and Management Science. So um, then uh, a year uh, into my retirement, I was given an opportunity to uh, be elected to the board of INFORMS. And this year, I'm actually the president of INFORMS. Oh, so yeah. that's how I've come to where I am today. And throughout my career, I had maintained many ac- ties to academia. So all of that has been how uh, my journey took me through various turns. and so on.
1: that's amazing. Uh, a wonderful story. and I, I noticed that a few themes came up that uh, you know uh, a lot of times when we see an opportunity, when we see something that can be changed for the better, a lot of people don't speak up, but I think you you took that opportunity to point out that that you know that gap in the marketplace essentially and uh, not only pointed it out, but took the initiative to, you know, do something about it. So uh, if people can notice those opportunities and not let them go and and take action,
0: a lot of things can happen, isn't it? Um, Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. It is very important to keep your eyes uh, wide open and keep listening to what everybody is saying, because there may be some opportunities where you think where you could make a difference and speak up. Absolutely.
1: You're right. (laughs) Now, now you know the, the the next thing that i notice is that you know uh, gaining that courage to speak up is is not easy to find like even if you find that opportunity a lot of people have that imposter syndrome they, they you know they they think that uh you know their idea may not be heard and i cannot uh, help but notice that you know y- you were you are in an industry which is you know let's face it it is male dominated so how were you able to find that in within you like uh did you have any challenges in, in, from that regard like uh were your was your voice uh, given a chance or did you have to like figure out a way to make yourself heard
0: so um interestingly i don't believe i really felt too much of the imposter syndrome i would rather think uh, i like to think of it as just uh your, whole, your uh, desire to succeed. So you're always a little bit nervous and wondering whether you can really do it or not. And mm-hmm. I think that happens with everybody, not just... Uh, a a woman in a male-dominated field. And sometimes that adrenaline rush, which you get uh, wondering if you can really succeed, actually gives you the energy to go forward. So Mm -hmm. that's my take on the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. But going to the question of uh, what um, made me successful in a field, which is still largely dominated by men, uh, I would say I got a lot of encouragement even from my childhood, from my family. My father, in fact, you know, he always, uh, he loved maths and he was very happy that his first born child, me, um, uh, loved math as well and did reasonably well in it. So he would always be very proud of that and encourage me. And I think that kind of pride in, in your child that is instilled by a parent goes a long way to helping uh, you succeed. So that kind of set the path for me. And, then over time, uh, even in my high school uh, in um, India, in Madhya Pradesh, actually, I was the only girl in a class of uh, boys in the maths class. But it never bothered me. I took it as a challenge. Okay, I can be better than all of them, right? Yeah. So, so if you have the drive, you can succeed. And most importantly, as you grow in your career, you have to realize that you got your current position because of your skills and experience, and you've been. Mm-hmm. Asked to be there because of what you bring to the table. So have that confidence and do your best. And I think that's a key to success. The other thing as a woman uh, in in the field, I have never tried to be someone that I am not, right? So what I mean by that is I've never tried to emulate other men who might be my colleagues right I continue to be myself and I think women have a natural empathy and that is very important to hold on to so don't think of it as a weakness if you feel like you are sympathizing too much with other people or empathizing because that is a huge strength and it helps you build a strong and successful team so uh, those are some things that will carry you forward and uh, then you even forget that you're in a, a room filled with men yeah, and yeah, yeah. you can just continue and do what you do best right that's great and, yeah so being uh i i think uh some of the skills that you bring to the tape team are uh you know you can always think of your team as your family and you mm-hmm. always do the best for your family, right? Absolutely. So those are some of the uh, natural skills that you have that uh, will serve you well.
1: That's great. That, yeah, there's so many nuggets in there, like, you know, just uh, uh, just to recap, like, you know, just thinking about the vision of the future, how it will be better drives you forward. And then as you look back on your own success, you can start to use that as, as your foundation to gain more confidence in going forward and uh, and and then yeah I mean you know getting support from your family friends uh, these are very very important to uh, to do something meaningful so so thanks a lot for sharing that now how do we take that you know your example because I also find the same thing when I work with women uh, especially in technology projects especially in data science related projects uh, they are really good at uh, you know, managing the details and not, um, not getting, uh, bogged down by diversity, not getting bogged down by adversity, uh, sorry, not diversity, adversity, uh, because there are setbacks in every project and they are able to handle those, those setbacks, um, much more calmly. So how do we encourage more women to come into technology? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you are already working on this on many fronts. Uh, But what are your views and what what can be done from others who are, you know, who are interested in getting seeing more women in technology?
0: First and foremost, we need to establish enough role models, having a role model that you can follow, having somebody that you can see who has succeeded in the field is a big step. So that young girls can see someone in that position and say, wow, so-and-so has succeeded. uh, And I can too. So that's important. And encouragement from your friends, from your teachers, from your family members, all of them need to encourage them. And as women leaders, that's something we need to always keep in mind. If somebody reaches out to you and says, hey, you know, I'm faced with some difficult situation, I don't know what to do. Just take the time to talk to them and explain and maybe relate some things that you may have felt and where you might have been a bit nervous, a bit anxious, and so on, and, and still manage to succeed. You can always overcome your anxiety by preparing well. If you're well prepared and you know the subject matter, then, you know, even with a few hiccups at the beginning, you can move forward, yeah. right? And you mentioned uh, dealing with uh, adversity or dealing with issues that where you might have failed. And that does happen. And when you fail and some project Every project need not be successful. you know. I remember uh, we were trying to uh, actually acquire a company for one of our um, uh, solver groups. And so it so happened that we went all the way till the end, but then it, the acquisition went through. So that was a big blow because I had spent months and months and months working on that and it didn't work out. And so the first instinct is to feel depressed and dejected and say, okay, and and now what? But all the work that we had done in getting to that point was enough for us to make a case to our CEO and say, hey, you know, you wanted us to acquire this skill set and this group, but we have the capability to build it in house mm. so why don't we go ahead and do that and uh, thankfully i guess we were successful in making that pitch and uh, our ceo said okay radhika uh, hire a, a team of experts so that you can build the or software from scratch so we actually build it all the way from scratch and i'm glad to say that uh, eventually, it probably ended up even better than before because we could build it to suit what we needed because SAS has an overla- overarching analytics portfolio in multiple domains. And so having uh, our own inbuilt set of tools, the mathematical modeling language, the tools, all of the software optimization tools, all of that, we were able to enhance not just the OR product, but multiple products as well. So that, I think, contributed a lot to the success success of where the OR team ended up and I'm very glad to say that we took that step but it would have been easy to say hey you know here is something that failed and what do we do now so look forward don't keep harping on the back but learn from the past learn right
1: that's a great example yeah that's a great example I think I think one of the ways to look at another way to look at it could be a redirection rather than a setback so that you know, as you said, like all that work did not go to waste. In fact, it informed you on the next steps.
0: Exactly. Exactly. It and the work we had done uh really informed our executives al- also that okay, this is an important direction for SaaS. So let's go about acquiring it. And it paid Hugely in uh, you know in the following years, I'm glad to say <laughs> it was one of the most exciting periods actually. Mm-hmm. So those are some um, experiences that I had, and I'm you know it it's not to say that uh, it, I had that only because I was a woman, but I it was still something that you remember that as a leader you have to step up as a leader mm-hmm. you have to say okay team let's not worry about where we are now let's see what we can do. In the future, let's
1: okay. go ahead. Great. Okay, awesome. Now, um, another question I have for you is like you know you, you talk to a lot of uh, executives, a lot of uh, people who are in a decision-making capacity in organizations. What do you think is the level of their data literacy? Like how how much do they know uh, about the revolution that is going on around us? Uh, how AI is sort of um, slowly getting into each and every aspect of our lives? Uh,
0: What are your views about that? Um, Very good question. So uh, data and analytics literacy can be at many different levels. Uh, I was very lucky uh, um, to have worked at a SAS Institute where our CEO, Dr. Goodnight, is amazing. You know, he is a brilliant statistician. He would also taken an, a minor in operations research, so he knew my field, uh, and he knew almost everything related to analytics more than anybody else. So having a a chief executive officer and owner of the company who had that level of understanding was a huge factor in the success of our software portfolio but that may not always be true right there may be executives in companies that we talk to as customers who are not familiar with it but i would say that Today, in today's world, there's hardly anybody who has not heard about the value that analytics and AI and all these tools can bring to your world, right? To your business problems. Anybody can, uh, you know, you just have to read the headlines in the newspaper or, or popular magazines, articles in journals. You will see that almost every project, every domain has uh, examples of where analytics gets used and big data you hear all the time. So that level of literacy is there, of course, Uh Almost everywhere, ubiquitous. But I would say that it's still um, when we think, you know. And here I'm talking to some of uh, my colleagues in um, uh, the in academia. When you're thinking about training students of the future, the and the, the employees of the future, then you have to keep in mind that. Not everybody is going to be an analytics expert and building the nitty-gritty tools of, of, course, organization of or data mining. But they might need to be able to use the tools. They might need to be able to understand where the tools are applied. So depending on where they want to end up in their career, whether they want to be a business leader, whether they want to be uh, somebody who's responsible for the hiring and building up the team, or whether they're responsible for the analytical algorithms, or just implementing them at customer problems, there are different levels of analytics and data literacy that are required. So that's important for us to keep in mind. And yeah. both for our academics, as well as uh, this, the students who are going and look trying to f- figure out what do I learn? Where do I go? So if you want to make a difference, depending on your level of math abilities, your interest in math, you can choose a wide variety of uh, skills and hone your uh, skills to to do that type of a career depending on where you want to end up so I do think understanding a basic level of what all of this means is very critical to everyone and how deep or how wide you go depends on where you want to end up in your job
1: you are listening to bootstrapping your dreams show with Manu Jagarwal Businesses face numerous challenges like finding the right product market fit, determining the market size, implementing a winning go-to-market strategy, crafting customer-centric USP, Comparative analysis, looking for funding, building up cash flow and profitability. We have made a lot of free resources available to the entrepreneurial community, including this podcast. this podcast. We invite you to check out our websites and follow us on social channels. The links are in the show notes. We hope you find the resources useful and utilize them to grow your business. Grow your business. We also have some programs for entrepreneurs. If you find our content useful, then you will definitely find the programs outstanding. So do check them out. No, that's great. Uh, Great point. Uh, You know, we don't have to, like, know everything about everything. Just the basics are enough. Uh, So uh, continuing with that thought, um, can you share your perspective on how, because I get this question a lot, like, how, how can data help me Make my business better. Make my life better. So, what is your perspective? Like, if if there was a lay person who does not know a lot about technology or data, what kind of uh, you know benefits uh, analytics and AI and all of this data science stuff provides to uh, to a, a person or a business? Um,
0: it it varies all over the map, right? And uh, I I would say the simplest thing, uh, even in your daily life, when you're trying to uh, decide where you want to go uh, or which route you want to take, you look at, okay, how far is it? What are the different ways to go? Do I want to pay tolls or not? Do I want to take a highway or not? So essentially, you're looking at all the data that exists about the from and the to destination. You're also looking at all the different past history. Oh, I took that um, two weeks ago, and it was bad. So essentially, you already have a lot of data at the back of your mind, and you're putting it all together right so simple decisions when you're making uh, an airline booking you know what type of data you need to look at you know what kind of flights do I want to leave early or afternoon which flights get delayed we all look at all of this right so you can imagine when you're making every decision you are basing it on data Mm -hmm. right and just expand this to a larger problem right when you're trying to so take the same airlines themselves if you're looking at airlines many of the airlines they make huge decisions even in, the, you know, you we've all heard about the airline overbooking problem, right? Yeah. We've gone to an airport and, uh, and ready for a flight and they say, oh, uh, you know, this flight is oversold. So anybody offer to uh, get bumped and we'll give you uh, ex, uh, coupons, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. We've all seen that. Why does that happen? Because the airlines know that more people plan to travel and buy tickets but they may not always show up yeah. and so they sell more tickets than there's capacity how do they decide how many more tickets to sell they look at all the data from before which flights are uh, very busy which flights are uh, have a high demand so they're taking all that data and setting the prices for the different levels and how many tickets to uh, oversell and so on so so that's from a business level, right? So now if you look at all the flights that they have to look at, all the different things that they've to, the, the problem just explodes. Sure. Likewise, if a, um, a um, retail company is trying to figure out what types of shirts to stock, what color shirts, what sizes and where and in which location, they need data from the past history. They need to look at all of that. So the then the fact that data driven decisions drive your uh, future success of your business is something that we are seeing in every domain supply chains you know you can't open the paper these days without um, th- hearing about supply chain crisis here or there yeah. what's causing it all the different backlogs all the different labor shortage and um, a- a- everything so da- data are ubiquitous available. We have the capacity now to store and gather data from all sources. How can you make your life better? I heard a very, very interesting uh, quote once from some colleague of mine who said, if you have data and you're not using analytics, it's like saying I'm surrounded by data but starved for inf- information drowning in data but starving for information so that that's a really nice quote which i think is um uh, uh, you know should imp- give you a lot of encouragement to go f- more into this type of analysis where using data driven decision making so from data, you apply these analytical models, machine learning, optimization, data mining, and get value from it, and yeah. that helps you drive your decisions. So I think Absolutely. that's a long-winded way of saying that I'm very passionate about this.
1: <laughs> no, no, I, I can feel the passion, and I'm am the same way. I, I think okay. to summarize it, like you know, the way I look at it is uh, most business uh, decisions are made by gut, gut feel, and we we hope the decision is right. But I think with data and analytics, we get like a really objective view of reality and we can be much more sure about that decision. Uh, Not only that, but that one decision can actually further inform future decisions uh, as we start to collect more and more data.
0: Uh, Absolutely, and I think you hit upon something that is often forgotten as a very uh, key part of the analytics lifecycle where you gather data, you apply your modeling skills, your analytical models, and derive some decision, implement it in practice. But then you have to keep looking at it. You have to keep revising it and monitoring to see, are your data still giving the same type of value from your uh, data? Are you getting the same value from your data? Or do you need to rebuild your model? Or maybe there is new data available. You've got some new things that you can bring into the picture. How does your model? Change? Do you need to retrain everything, or come up with some new uh, information that you can use? So it's a life cycle. It's yeah, right yeah, a yeah. linear process where you take data, apply models, and then implement it. It has to actually keep going round and round, where you continuously monitor and improve your models. Yeah,
1: it's almost like a human mind, isn't it? Like you, we we continue to learn, uh, and then we learn more more stuff, and then you know old paradigms sort of dissolve, um, and and then one thing that you mentioned, you know, the the, the sentence that you use, like we are starved for information, that's so true as well. Because uh, a lot of people realize also that information is power. So if we have lots of data and we are starved for information, we are basically, you know, uh, not utilizing that uh, that data that that can yield so many good results in terms of uh, tangible outcomes, uh, profits.
0: Uh, Absolutely. You know, yeah. Absolutely, and I think that's one of the key ways in which you can continuously keep an eye out and looking to see what other source of sources of data can you bring into play. So gone are the days where you said, I'm going to build a regression model, and here is my uh, historical data set. I'll build my model and go and uh, implement my decisions. Now, there are ways in which you can continue to bring additional information. Right. So uh, one uh, example I like to use in this is when we are building predictive models, Uh, a simple example where you're trying to make new offers for uh, let's say any product right a a phone company is trying to sell a new new model phone etc you know they use the demographic information of the population their own customers to say you know this age sex uh, you know where they live what they're doing all of these will drive this type of behavior and so and so is going to go and get the latest model phone whereas, whereas so and so like my husband is happy with you know yeah. like I don't know uh, five generations ago
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> So, uh, and I'm in between somewhere so that's demographic information right about the population however um, more and more people are realizing that when you're trying to build these types of models just looking at who is connected to whom so if for instance Um, you know, Joe has hundreds of friends, whereas somebody else, Matt, may only have a handful of friends, then who do you think is a better candidate for marketing and giving a free phone and say, hey, here is your iPhone 75 or whatever, here you take it. And who do you think um, is a better target for that? The person who has lots of friends, because the likelihood of him influencing more friends is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. So This is where just looking at the demographic information of the population is not enough, but you also look at all the network connections, who is connected to who, who posts on Twitter, who posts on uh, Facebook, and say, oh, so-and-so is very popular, so let's give him the latest model and see how it influences. Those are all types of intuition that you can gain by saying, what are the additional sources of data that I can bring into my problem? Yeah, no, that's that's a very uh, very good point as well. Like, because I, I feel like
1: I feel like the more detailed data and analysis we do, it actually reveals a lot about how the real world works. Because sometimes we are, you know, so uh, uh, wrapped up in our own thought process, and we look at the world in a narrow way. That you know, okay, this is how it works. But when we look at data, it can open up new insights, as you mentioned that were not even in in our, uh, you know, uh, line of sight, right?
0: Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. Great. You know, another thing, um, you know, another example but where additional sources of data make a huge difference, you know, the one I talked is uh, more in terms of marketing, uh, but in medical medical decisions, you know, we've made huge progress in cancer diagnostics. And just not enough to look at patient history and um, the demographics of the patient population, but also any data that you can have about the genetics and the genetic markers of the different uh, people that you're considering, the patients you're considering, all of that data makes a huge difference. You know, even environmental issues, what sort of things, uh, environment are they in? So every piece of additional uh, information that you can get, makes a difference so of course the tri- the trick is which adds value and which is just a nuisance or adds yeah. noise right exactly. how to decide that and and you need different kinds of analytical tools to help you decide all of that which are the variables that really make a difference and which are not going to add much value to your decision
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Um, one question I do ask uh,
1: most of our guests is like, you know, you already mentioned one uh, uh, one sort of setback that you experienced. But what about? Uh, can you share any other setbacks, any other mistakes, any other lessons you learned in your career? Uh, obviously, as we as we discussed uh, discussed earlier, any setback can be turned into an opportunity. So, any any mistake that you initially thought was a mistake and turned out to be a good lesson that you can share.
0: Um, so I don't think I thought of it as a mistake, but, um, you know, even the simple, um, decision that I was kind of forced into where I went, um, you know, one thing I, when I mentioned my career journey, I mentioned that I switched from two years in academia to, um, industry and I was very, very keen to pursue an academic career i wanted because i loved to teach i liked uh, the university atmosphere and all of that and i was really keen but um, you know i was newly married we were just starting a family and it um, it, you know, I did not have the luxury, or I did not want to pick a different uh, geography and go find another job in in, in academia. So I ended up uh, taking uh, the industry position at SAS. And you know, many of um, the colleagues in the department, especially the chairman of the department at that time uh, at UNC Chapel Hill, he was so sad for me he he looked at me like i had made a big mistake and he said you know um th- that's a shame radhika i wish you could have continued in uh, academia but you know that's the cards i was dealt with and uh, that's what i uh, ended up taking but overall it turned out to be an excellent opportunity for me to do something different and I found that I could make a difference not just in industry but also in academic circles as well because I had the um, luxury of working for a company which believed strongly in academic interactions Mm -hmm. and so we continued to stay connected with many um, institutions locally. We used to have some consulting engagements and discussions and um, seminars and we always had professional interactions with them and of course uh, we had a continuing stream of students because interacting with students is something that you get in academia yeah. you know as a given but it's not necessarily true in industry right but we had a lot of interns who came on and so so those were some things that uh, I think uh, you could end up in some place where you did not plan to be but it ends up, uh, you, you can make a success of it yeah, if you yeah, put yeah. enough energy into it. So um, yeah, so, yeah I, I guess I didn't quite answer exactly what mistake I made. Uh, I'd like to think I didn't make mistakes, but no, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there were, uh, you know, um, While we were um, doing our uh, upgrade for the OR software that I talked about, we had planned that it should be uh, done in one particular way. You know, I won't go into the technical details, but Um, you know, we used to have discussions with all members of the team and one of the team members came and described one particular way in which we could make our solvers be much more uh, interactive and much more um, pluggable into different solutions and he said if we do it this way, making changes to the software, making uh, any uh, additions would be much easier, Radhika, and he was presenting it to the whole team and Uh, you know we said ah okay here is some way in which we can make a difference and we can change so something that we had thought we would do in one way we changed uh, a little bit of a pivot no doubt but still it was a pivot and that really helped us uh, in uh, multiple ways because not only did it make our software more usable within Uh, the company for other uh, analytical products. But when we went to um, high-performance distributed computing, the fact that we had architected our software using, uh, you know, I'll use a technical term, we call them TK extensions, where threaded kernel extensions, where, you know, they were uh, little modules that could be easily plugged into multiple uh, systems. So the fact that we had built our software from these uh, Little um, units of um, modules helped us go into the distributed computing much more easily than it could have. Some of the other departments, which did not had not started that way, took a longer time to then convert to this form of uh, modules. So sometimes, you know, you, uh, I, I guess the lesson is: um, don't assume that what you have chosen is the only way. Uh, listen to others. Uh, even if they might be saying something that you don't understand, don't uh, think is right, because there may be a nugget there that will make a big difference. Absolutely. So,
1: no, that's that's a great point. Now, continue, continuing the, the the whole theme of listening to others. I also like to ask a question about mentors and coaches in your life. What kind of role did they play uh, in getting you to the level
0: of success that you have achieved? <laughs> So um yes Mentoring is a huge opportunity both for people who are already successful and people who are just starting out. So um, being mentored and mentoring someone is one of the most important activities you can uh, undertake throughout your career. So I'll mention a few mentors in my life. Uh, Of course, my dad was the initial mentor because he instilled in me the love for math and promoted it. Um, And then uh, You know, my husband has always been my uh, lifelong uh, friend and mentor in many ways. And being in the same field, operations research, it's uh, we discuss lots of things and he'll always um, give me a different perspective on things. So uh, two. Family mentors, and of course, support from all the others. My mom and everyone else have always supported me. That's important too. A couple of mentors at work, I would mention. Uh, one was uh, my um, uh, a senior VP when I was one of the junior managers in the department. Uh, you know, when I was the manager of the small subgroup that I mentioned earlier of OR, um, I was um, invited. To attend a meeting uh, to, rep, to represent the OR group, because my boss, who was the director of the OR department at that time, was unable to, unavailable at that time. So um, I was asked to come to that meeting. So I went to the meeting and uh, you know, it, you know how the meeting rooms are usually at a table, uh, you know, with a maybe 15, 20 chairs and then some chairs around the 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 wall so since I was not at the same level as the others around the table I went and sat at the back and so my VP pointed out to me and said Radhika you've been asked to represent the team come take a seat at the table and I've never forgotten that I've never forgotten that because if you're asked to to present anywhere to give your opinion it is because the, the you've been asked for your expertise they believe that you can add value to the team so take a seat at the table, because if you don't have a seat at the table, you're not going to have a voice at the table, mm-hmm. right? So it's very, very important to take a seat at the table. And that lesson, um, and I've always th- uh, considered uh, that VP, he's, he's also a good friend of mine now. And he, um, uh, as I always think of him as a huge mentor, because you know I would go talk to him. And mentoring doesn't need to necessarily come from somebody senior to you or your boss, or someone uh, who is in a different, higher position. It could be anywhere. You could get mentoring advice from anybody, even your friends. So here, I think it's very important to develop a good circle of friends, trusted friends, who you can turn to for brainstorming. and. They can have suggestions too. So the, the term mentor does not need to be officially a title you give to somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get mentoring advice from a variety of people. And I think you should always look for that. And then in uh, you know, paying it forward, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, uh, I have this problem. Uh, can you help me? Sit down and listen to them. And maybe you can give them some advice.
1: Great, great. Well, thank you so much. That that was amazing. Uh, now, before I let you go, can you uh, uh, share with us uh, how people can reach out to you if they want to connect with you?
0: Sure. <laughs> uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way. So, um, you know, um, if you're reach out to me, send a message to me on LinkedIn. And, you know, they always say when you re- request a connection, just put a little note in there saying where uh, and why, uh, because that will, uh, In I typically do accept most requests, but it still helps me put yeah, that yeah. on a high. And then, you know, once I connect, of course, send me a message. And if there is further follow-up that we would like to do, you would like to continue with further discussions, then, uh, you know, I typically Typically, take the discussion off to my email so that then we can have uh, more one-on-one discussions. Um, That's great. We'll
1: put that link uh, in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time and all the wisdom that you shared and uh, all the you know the uh, the latest uh, sort of uh, ideas around data and anal- analytics. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Manoj. Thank Thanks. you very much, and it's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you, and wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Great
1: topic of the day. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for tuning in to Bootstrapping Your Dream. Bootstrapping Your Dream. We bring you life-changing insights about starting and growing your business, making your life and family happy. Given the fact that you listened to the whole episode. We know you are an awesome fan. awesome fan. So why not help us spread the message? Please share the podcast with others who can benefit from it. And if you are feeling extra generous, leave a review on iTunes or any other platform where you are listening to the podcast.